Uh, today's Court Vision, we have part two of Henry French's story. This is a great interview, uh, continuation of part one, obviously. Um, great, great story from Henry. I really enjoyed this guy's story. I, like I said, I mentioned before, I believe this should really be a movie. Um, as you hear in the second part, it goes through his college career and his professional career and how crazy and small the basketball world is and all the connections that he makes. Um, awesome interview. This will be today's episode. I hope you guys enjoy. All right. Today is Thursday, October 3rd, and we have part two of the Henry French story. Great second part of Henry French's story. Awesome interview. Just a story of hard work and dedication. And like I said, it should be a movie. Uh, for those guys out there who are listening who want to see his documentary, watch it on YouTube. Uh, it's under and subscribe to The Real King Henry. It's called From No to Pro. Awesome documentary. I watched all of it. Great, great in, um, documentary created by Henry himself and he made it himself which is unbelievable he's he's a great great guy with unbelievable skills in basketball and unbelievable skills in life um, and for anyone else listening out there just know that perseverance prevails and his story is a clear story of perseverance prevails I hope you guys enjoy today's episode with Henry French part two here's the interview all right all right, on today's Core Vision, we welcome back on Henry French, uh, the two-part episode of Henry's story. Awesome story so far of what Henry has told us. If you guys remember from the last episode, he left off speaking about how he received his letter from um, Trinity and how he had framed it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, beg, beg my coach uh, for my entire uh, – well, I actually didn't get to frame it. I, I begged my coach to uh, – give me my letter back so I could frame it. He still hasn't gave it to me. I wonder if he has it. I'm oh, definitely going to call him after this podcast. <laughs> you better call him. I'll call him. Give me his number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll both, we'll both found him. He'd probably be like, who is this guy? Um. <laughs> <laughs> But how was – so how was it your first – so how do you prep going into that? So you have this feeling of relief. A, that, like, you know, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. Um, you know, you – you well, I mean, you probably still have to prove yourself, but, like, you have that relief now that someone wants you, a team that wants you. So how do you go into that season just prepping prepping for a Trinity? Um, I was uh, in the gym in, in that summer. Um, actually, so I signed my letter in August. <clears throat> And I started off uh, going to the summer open gyms and things like that. And sometime around about, I want to say May, I started having second thoughts about going to Trinity. Um, just because when I went to talk to my junior college coach and I told him I wasn't returning, <clears throat> he actually mentioned that he felt like I could go to a lower uh a low division one school. And wow. so that, yeah, that kind of had me second guessing if I wanted to go to Trinity. Um, and I actually was debating on either trying to walk on or um, going back to junior college and maybe, you know, seeing if I could uh, uh, play one year, uh, finish my undergrad 
and then you know you're uh a lot of times uh you'll see seniors who are going into their masters and they are granted another year to play so that was going to that would have gave me the two years that I wanted to play at a at a major university um but to make a long story short I at the end of the summer I had a conversation with my coach my junior college coach and um for some reason, I just decided to stick with Trinity. And so I was in the gym that entire summer. Um, and I never uh, had the mentality of, okay, I'm going to take over. This is my team. Because I knew in college, you know, the teams who have that one uh, shining star, they aren't usually the teams that, you know, win the championship. It's, it's the best teams that win. Yeah. Because it's easy it's easy to game plan for one guy who's carrying a team, you know, but it's harder to game plan for five five or seven guys who are all producing. Yeah. And so that was my biggest thing, you know. I wanted everybody who was signing to be in the gym and I wanted everybody to be working and everybody to give their best effort. And so we were all in the gym and we were all working and going into preseason, you know, we were all grinding together and bonding. And one special thing that my coach did that not many colleges do, some do, but not many colleges do, is um, at the end of uh, preseason uh, training and conditioning, he took us on a kind of like a mini vacation for a weekend. And, you know, we just bonded as a team and we wrote out our goals, uh, what we wanted. And so going into Trinity, um, the year before they were – 13 and 17 I want to say and the uh that was my coach's first season he actually came from Vanguard University where he won the national championship as a as an assistant coach and so he came to Trinity uh the year he won the championship Trinity was 8 and 22 and uh his first year they were actually I take that back. They weren't eight and twenty two. They were five and twenty five. Oh wow. And then yeah. And so his first year they were thirteen and seventeen. But they had like an eleven game winning streak, which was the longest in school history. Or a ten game winning streak, I'm sorry. Which was at that time the longest in school history. And so things were kind of shaping up to be a, a, a good year for us. He had his own uh well not his own, but he had a different style of defense that he brought over from Vanguard, which um, which is not conventional in, in college basketball. So if you watch college basketball, there's usually um, they're usually gapping off and they're, um, they're kind of uh, sinking in towards the paint a little bit and they'll let the players catch it and then, you know, hard close out, try to force the players outside and not let anyone in the middle. What we did was we um, – I'm sorry? Is it like a pack line defense is that we're speaking of? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, pack line defense. Yeah. So what we would do is we would deny everything and we would challenge one guy to go make a play. And so if you had one really great ball handler and the other guys were shaky at their ball handling, it was really tough for teams to beat us because we would get the ball out of his hands and because we were denying everything else, he probably wouldn't get the ball back that possession. Um, and so that, it really helped us our first semester. I mean, yeah. So for the first half of the season, we finished, uh, eight and three. Wow. We finished eight and three. We were probably top 
four in our conference out of like 16 teams. Um, and so we went on a California trip and I won't go into too, too much details. Uh, we went on a Thanksgiving trip and, uh, you know, guys, us as a team, uh, we decided to make it a party trip instead of a business trip. And word got back to the coach and he had to send word to the higher ups of the university. And, uh, we actually ended up almost the entire team, except for maybe three guys got suspended for five games. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we were actually a school, one of the few schools who had a junior varsity team in college. So our junior varsity team had to play all five games that we were suspended. And all five of those games were against the bottom five teams in the league. So we for sure would have won those five games and we would have been 13 and three going into the second half of the season. The junior varsity, however, they lost all five games. So now we're we're coming back and we're eight and eight. That's rough. That's really rough. <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, we obviously we had to take responsibility for it. That was no one's fault but our own. You know, for going out to California and uh, just thinking about having fun um, rather than going out and winning and enjoying each other's company and coming back home and handling business. But on the bright side, when we did come back, you know, we felt like we owed so much to our coach and to our team and to our school that we turned it around and we ended up uh, going on like a eight game win streak and the top. Uh, so, and we were top four, like I said, but with the five games we lost, we ended up dropping to like seven. And so coming back, we beat the top, four teams in our conference and all four of those teams were ranked in the top 25 in the nation. So that did a lot for us. Um, I, actually, I take that back. Um, the number one team in our conference was uh, St. Francis out of, um, not out of Indiana, but St. Francis of Chicago. And they were ranked number two in the nation at the time. And we lost to them by seven. And they were in the Southern division. We were in the North. So we only got to play them the one time. So we didn't get to, you know, get a rematch. Um, so let's see. So, um, but we finished out the season strong. Uh, fortunately lost in the first round of the playoffs. So we didn't get a tournament bid. Um, but we got a, it's not the NIT because obviously we're in the NAI, but we got a bid to um, another uh, postseason tournament. We ended up, placing third in that and so we finished I want to say 20 and 12 or 20 and 13 which is the first time uh we'd won 20 games since like 1999 wow <clears throat> yeah and so uh we lost uh how many seniors did we lose? we lost three seniors and that that's actually a good thing because for a team, that means you're returning about 12 players from the previous year, from your best year in 20 years, basically. Yeah, that's crazy. So you guys are actually now deep going into your senior year. Exactly. So we were poised to make a, a big run in the conference and hopefully get a, get a, a national tournament berth. And uh, we did. Uh, again, we, we came out strong in the, 
first half of the season. Actually, we lost our first game to uh, nobody, which was so embarrassing. Um, but it was kind of humbling for us because, you know, we were feeling like, oh, it's our senior season. We're all locked in. All of the seniors were in the gym the entire summer. Um, and I, I guess we were just on a, a, a high because, you know, we knew we had such a historical season the previous year. One of my teammates, uh, uh, Zach Kirschbaum, he was a, uh, All-American honorable mention. Um, we had two guys who finished, um, uh, in, on the all-conference list. So we were feeling really good about, um, going, going into the season. But also we had extra motivation because um, our conference preseason polls, we knew we were the best team in the conference. Everybody else, they lost too many seniors. They lost too many players. And we were still uh, voted to finish fourth, I think. So that was like a slap in the face for us. So is that um, so like I said, hanging up in the locker room? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't hang it up in the locker room, but we actually uh, we did. We wrote it on the board. Uh, we wrote it on the whiteboard in the locker room, and we wrote our goals on the board in the locker room. And that state, it was never erased. That stayed on there for the entire year. So every time we would come in and we would game plan on the board, you would see the goals. So every time, you know, you, you come in, you change clothes, you see the goal on the board. So you know what you're working towards. You know what you're working against. Um, and so after we lost that first game, we won about six in a row. Uh, we beat – this was our first time playing a ranked team outside of a, our conference, and they were ranked number five in the nation. And we beat them, which was the highest ranked team that our school has ever beaten. Um, that's, and that's so – That's cool. That's that really point, cool. I'm sorry? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, so we're, we're just on a high at, at this point, and – at that moment, we were on an 11-game winning streak, which um, which beat the previous 10-game winning streak, which was the most in school history. And then we faced our conference rival, uh, Robert Morris. And at the time, we were both one and two. They were one. We were two in the conference race for the conference championship. We played them at home. Uh, we lost about 30. And so that was like a rude awakening. But we knew that they weren't 30 points better than us. We just had a terrible game. And I kid you not, they probably missed less than 15 shots that game, and which is incredible. Yeah, that's crazy. That's tough to beat when a team doesn't miss that much either. <laughs> exactly. You know, they, so they just had everything going for them. Um, but we bounced back from that and went on another 11-game win streak. Um and we would face Robert Morris for the regular season conference title at Robert Morris. And their coach, who is a who's in the conference Hall of Fame, he's probably one of the best coaches to ever coach in our conference. That will that will that was going to be his last home regular season game. And um, Robert Morris, they've won the conference a uh, number of years. Um, they've usually always go to the national tournament. They get a lot of division one transfers. Um, that year they had, um, Darius Paul, who I actually knew from the area. He went to see, see, it's crazy how small the basketball world is. So the rival coach from my high school who turned out to be 
my junior college coach, he was actually Darius Paul's coach in high school. And wow. so I, that's how I knew Darius Paul. Holy crap. That's really small. <laughs> a small hey, world. Hey, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so going into that game, um, we just knew, you know, we lost the previous game by 30. Um, and uh, so what would happen was if we won the game by 12 or more points, we would be the lone holder of the conference championship. If we won the game, but it was by 12 or less, we would uh, not 12 or less, 11 or less, we would uh, be co-champions along with Robert Morris. And of course, if we lost the game, then Robert Morris would be champions by themselves. We ended up winning the game by 11 points. Um, and it was so crazy because when you're up by 11, and there's 15 seconds on the shot clock, you're not trying to score. You're just running the ball out. But yeah. our coach knew that we had to win by 12 or more points. So we had the ball with like 13 seconds, and he calls a timeout to drive a play so that we can get a score. We got a good look at it, but we ended up missing the shot. So, uh, um, yeah, so we were conference uh, – we were co-conference champions, but it was still it was still such a, uh, a great night for us. That was the first time my university – had actually ever uh, been regular season conference champions. That's a hell of an accomplishment, and you guys, uh, you guys definitely pulled off. That's huge, especially Thanks. losing the thirty before, and then you guys stay motivated, have another eleven game winning streak, and then just come back. I mean, uh, and and of course your story of connecting to Darius Paul, which is absolutely. I feel like your story has so many connections to other people. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, all these people in your path, like in your high school career, in your life, it's wild. Yeah, so it's crazy. And at the time, we actually were ranked, I want to say, either 11 or 13, which was the highest the school had ever been ranked. And so um, so we were moving forward into the conference championship, uh, into the conference tournament, I'm sorry. We ended up winning the first two games. Uh, it wasn't even close. We blew the first team out by like 30. I take that back. The second game, close. And it was our last home game. Um, and funny story, well, it's not a funny story, but I actually got the, we were up by one and the team had the ball. And I actually got the, the game saving steal to seal the game. And from then they had to foul us to keep up. I actually missed uh, both of the free throws, but we got the offensive rebound. And uh, I think my teammate Grant Corsi ended up making at least one of them and then they missed the shot and had to keep fouling so um that was a great night a uh, great experience for our last home game for for the seniors of course um and then we again met robert morris in the conference championship for round three of that year we ended up losing to them by i want to say seven yeah so uh, tough one, tough one. We really I wanted know, that one. Tough. We we wanted that one just for the uh, for the reason that that was going to be their coach's official last game at home, and we did not want them to celebrate. We wanted to cut down their net. We wanted to go celebrate in their locker room just like we did for the regular season championship, but it ended up not happening that way. Um, but um, we did get. Um, we did get a, a berth into the national tournament. We were a, a third seed, which, you know, again, we felt was a slap in the face. And 
going into the uh, going into the tournament the night before our first game, um, our coach uh, calls us all into a hotel room. He sits us down and he tells us like, "Look, guys, I know a lot of you were expecting to be a, a, a two seed." Uh, because of our record, we had a better record than all than three fourths of the two seeds. So only one two seed had a better record than us. But it was because our school didn't hold that much weight in the national tournament. Like that was probably our second time going to the national tournament in school history. So uh, we got the three seed. So he was telling us. Uh, the three seed played the six seed, and he was telling us that uh, we had the the host game, which is um, the school who hosts the um, the national tournament. They get an automatic bid, no matter what their record is. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, and so they placed us as a three seed against that specific school because they felt like that school, um, because they were home. And they would have their crowd. Uh, it was actually the biggest game. It was a crowd of about from 3,500 to 4,000. Wow. Um, yeah. And so they felt like that placing us against them, they would have uh, a better opportunity to beat us rather than any other three seeds. And that would keep money flowing in because that would keep their fans present in the tournament um, as long as they were in the tournament. That's ridiculous. So, yeah. And, and so we felt so disrespected and yeah. we ended up coming out blowing the team out uh by 20 or more points on their home court in front of 4,000 fans so it was a great experience um the next game uh my teammate Grant Corsi hits a game winner uh with a second left when we were down one uh so now we are advancing so now we're in the elite eight because it started at the round of 32 in the NAI. so now we're in the elite eight and we face uh union college who at the time they were 33 and three and they hadn't lost a game since november 1st wow. and right now yeah right now it's probably like uh mid-march so they they lost three games early and then <laughs> I don't know how many games they ran off, yeah, but that's, that's, when we faced them, they were 33-3 and three in the number one overall seed in the tournament, um, and it just wasn't our day. We lost that game, and yeah, it was kind of tough for me because at the conference championship against Robert Morris, when we were in the locker room at halftime, my coach tells us all the guys who made the all-conference teams, and uh, it was my teammate, uh, Zach Kirschbaum, who ended up being the conference player of the year. And also my close friend and teammate, Grant Corsi, he made second team. Zach made first team. Zach actually ended up uh, making second team All-American. And Grant was the All-American honorable mention. And um, like I said, from the from the jump, my goal was to play professionally. And so I knew that you had to have some type of recognition you have to have all american honors or all conference honors or at least be a national champion and so when we lost in the tournament and i didn't have any of those honors it was a, a scary moment for me because i didn't i didn't know if i would you know have that rec have enough recognition to go overseas yeah 
and that that very well could have been my last organized basketball game. You know, that's a scary um, thought too. That's not, and that's a, it's scary and a scary. sad thought too at the same time. Super scary, and just me being a leader and one of the seniors on the team. When we got in the locker room, I told the guys, you know, we had we had nothing to worry about. I mean, not not anything to worry about, but we had nothing to be sad about. We ended up winning 30 games that year, which was not only the most in school history, it was the most out of any college or university in the state of Illinois on any level uh, that season. So we won the most games out of any school in Illinois that season. That includes University of Illinois, Northwestern, all the big schools you can think of. We won the most games that year. Um, and also they did uh they did uh, uh, a lot of research and it turned out that in the three years that my coach was there our school had the biggest three-year turnaround going from five and 25 the year before he got there to 30 and i think we finished 30 and six so we lost six games that year and won 30. that's crazy yeah uh, and so we had the biggest turnaround out of any school in the country in three years. Holy crap, that's huge. That's so big. So that, what that says about your coaches recruiting, obviously, and then, you know, bringing in you guys and then what you guys were able to do as a team and how well, you know, we're being able to work together. Yeah, and, and, and my thing is, it, it says less about the school and the players than it does about the coach. To me, that stat was all about him because he recruited players who bought into his system and believed yeah. in him as a coach. Those that, That's going to be the best teams in college, the teams who buy into what their coach is teaching and and they actually give it all of their effort, you know, to, to do what their coach wants done. And you got to have a great group of seniors uh, or just a great group of guys who are going to uh, buy in and believe in each other. We had no one – who was selfish and thought it was all about me. Even uh, Zach Kirschbaum, who was second team All-American, he led the entire country, that's NAIA, NCAA, all divisions, in double-doubles and rebounds that year. Wow. So this was 2017. I think Willie Cauley-Stein was in college that year. Um, just uh, obviously a bunch of guys that were in the NBA and yeah. he led all colleges, all players, in double-doubles and rebounds per game that year. That's absolutely wild. Exactly. But I say that to say, with all of his accomplishments, he wasn't even selfish, you know. He never was the type that, hey, guys, feed me the ball. Like, I haven't touched the ball in I don't know how long. Like, we knew, you know, like, okay, we got, we got this 6'10 monster down there. Let's feed him. Let's play off of him. But then he would also – attract double teams and would be so willing to to pass it out of a double team and make the right play. And then not to mention we were uh, in, in the NAI, we were ranked second defensively in almost all categories. In a lot of categories, we finished first. Um, we finished, I think, first in steals, first in turnovers. Um, so we were a great defensive team. Yeah, you were uh, – I read some stats about yours. You you led the team in steals and blocks, too. I, uh, yeah. Red, you and, were – And I like to consider myself uh, – at that point, I felt like I was the defensive anchor of the team. But just the type of guy I am, I would never say I did this. I would always yeah. say 
I was instru instrumental in, you know, defense. And so my energy on defense, my blocks, my steals that led to huge dunks, you know, that, that helped fuel us on defense. Like we wanted to play defense just so we can get those highlight plays and, and those big moments and get our crowd behind us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, defense is everything. I, I love, you know, like when my, when I coach my teams, like I love it when we push the ball, we get a quick steal and we push it right up the court, like on a fast break. And I think that's like, that's the best way to play. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I actually have a clip of, uh, we were playing in an away game and one of the, one of the uh, commentators actually referred to me as the best defender in the country. And that was like, the ultimate recognition for me like that was the ultimate nod of respect for me so uh i definitely i definitely appreciated that i could say that's a huge yeah that's a huge compliment i mean the average almost two steals a game in and almost two blocks a game is and how tall are you what are you six five no not even i wish i was six five <laughs> i'm about six two and a half six three on a good day that's and so I, I actually checked i actually checked the um the top twenty, uh, the top twenty-five blocks list. I was the only guard on that list, and I think I was like fifteen. Holy crap! That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I, I can contribute that to my um, unique athleticism, I guess I would say. Yeah, I was gonna say, how did you like? How did that become like such a key part of your game? How did you focus, or is that that was just like you said, your just athleticism itself? Uh. For my blocks, I would say it was my shot timing. I have I have great shot timing. I can say that. Like, a lot of guys could jump high. A lot of guys have long arms. Not too many people have great shot timing. And what I would do is, if someone got a steal, I would kind of, like, jog my first couple steps. You know, when someone gets a turnover, you kind of uh, – guys often put their head down and, like, okay, he's going to take this for a layup. Yeah. And so – what the person who got the steal would do is they would slow down to focus on their layup. And then out of nowhere, here I am speeding up behind them to get a chase down block. And I had great timing. If you go look on my college highlights, there's about a, a minute and a half section where it's just all blocks, all block shots. And it, it's pretty impressive to me still. That's, that's awesome. And how does it feel? I just want to know, like, what's the feeling like when you get that chase down block? Like, how does that feel? Like that has to be like such an awesome feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a great feeling. You know, you, you hear the, it's almost like you hear the air deflate out of the ball. You hear the, if you're at, if you, if you're, if you're at an away gym, you hear the air deflate out of the gym. Like you literally suck all the air out of the crowd because, they think it's a dunk coming or it's a block. I mean, or it's a, it's a nice layup coming and then you just come and you take it all away. And then we're going on the other end for a bucket. So it is definitely a great feeling. That's going to be an awesome feeling. And you got some hops too, because I've watched your uh, dunk contest. And so when we lost the national tournament, that wasn't the end of my basketball career at Trinity. I actually a week later competed in and won the national dunk contest. That's that's awesome. So did you prepare for that or did you like I, I did not. I, I never I never prepared for a dunk contest. So you just been scarred it. <laughs> yep, I, I winged I winged it all, man. On the uh, on the flight there, I kinda was thinking of every dunk that I was gonna do. And then when I got there I just erased it because you never know what the competition is gonna do. And so 
I had to erase everything and start from scratch and uh, just work my way from there. And so um, I ended up winning the dunk contest, uh, graduating college. And the day I graduated college at my graduation party, um, I ended up signing with an agent, which I thought was going to be a huge step in my pro career. Uh, turns out the agent wasn't much help. Uh, we didn't communicate at all that summer. Um, oh, man. But uh, by the grace of God, I just I met a guy who turns out to be my mentor now. But it was random how I met him. Someone posted on Instagram that a team in Greece was looking for a point guard. I never played point guard a day in my life. But um, uh, a uncle, my a uncle of mine tagged me in it. Uh, he was good friends with the lady who made the post. And so uh, she invited me out to the Shy League and I was supposed to meet him there and he was going to watch me play. Turns out that I didn't play at all um, because there are a lot of G League guys on the team, and it was it was it was just a lot of politics. And the coach actually admitted that to me. He was like, "Hey, look, these guys they played overseas, they played in the G League, so you know, uh, if you come back next, we will play." And it was a heck of a drive for me to get down there, so I didn't even return. And I actually went up to the guy whose name is Dino. I went up to Dino and I apologized to him, and I told him. I didn't know that I wasn't going to play. You know, it was a big opportunity for me to impress you to try to get overseas. He stopped me dead in my tracks and he said, no, you showed me enough in warmups and I've seen your highlights. Like, I don't need to see anything. I'm going to tell the coach he needs to bring you out for the team to try out for training camp and you're going to be good. Wow. And so I, yeah. So he ends up, uh, sending me to Greece on his own ticket. So like I said, that that was, to me, that was clearly a blessing from God because I he, he's not my agent. He didn't see me play live. He only saw me warm up and in warm-ups, I was, uh, of course, dunking, uh, trying to get a lot of energy. I was actually going back and forth with uh, Kiefer Sykes and Alfonso McKinney, who uh, just played for the Golden State Warriors. I was on their team in the Shire League. And wow. so we were all we were all trading off dunks, uh, trying to get each other hyped for the game, and that's all Dino needed to see, I guess. And he sent me to Greece, and um, that was top league in Greece. That's the Champions League in Greece. Um, oh, that's that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, a couple of my teammates on my uh, on that Greek team are actually playing with Giannis on the national team in Greece this year. So it's great watching those guys and just to say, I know them and I got the opportunity to play with them. I actually didn't um, make the team that season. I was released after preseason uh, just because um, like I wasn't ready for the pro life, I guess that that's what the coach told me. Um, I guess he did an experiment where, you know, we were in practice and during five on fives, he wouldn't play me, and in a couple of the preseason games, he didn't play me. And he said it was a test to – he wanted to see how my attitude would be if I didn't play. But I, I went out to Greece on a tryout. Like, I didn't go with a contract. So my whole thing is it was a tryout. And so if I'm not playing, I felt like I got cut, which is kind of why I was down about my situation. Now, if I was on a contract and you're paying me to sit at the end of the bench, then, then that's, that's your decision. I'm I'm going to get paid. I'm going to show up to practice. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. Of course, I'm going to work hard to try to get into rotation. 
But like I said at the time, I didn't even have a contract. So I felt like they had made their decision on me. Um, and it was kind of a rough situation, you know, just facing uh, going back home when uh, everything was looking so bright for me. I felt like I finally got to where I wanted to get to. I'm in the top league overseas in Greece. I got my own two-bedroom apartment with a jacuzzi for a tub. I got tile floors, marble floors in my apartment. So I just – I got almost everything. And then, you know, you get – I felt like I got cut, um, especially when I got moved out of my apartment because uh, they actually signed a guy who had recently uh, – a guard who had recently played in the G League. And so, uh, like I said, I felt – I didn't know that I was just getting moved to the end of the rotation. I thought I got cut, and so I guess they didn't like my attitude. And what he said was, you know, you can either stay and be a practice player, um, and, you know, if we need you or uh, we see uh, growth, then you can, um, you know, you'll have the potential to get signed and get a contract and start playing, or, you know, um, we can send you home, and it's no hard feelings uh, either way. And um, like I said, at the time, I, my mind wasn't – I wasn't as locked in as I should have been. I, I chose to go home uh, just to, you know, work on myself and work on my game. Um, I didn't think I could do that out there because, you know, the only time I would be able to get into the gym was when the team was in the gym. And, you know, you can't really do individual stuff while they're trying to practice, especially when you're not on the team, you're on the practice squad, you know. Yeah, it makes it a little more difficult. And that's that's also a difficult situation, like you said, too, because you don't have a contract. And that's tough, too. I don't, you know, and it's tough when you have that feeling that you, you feel like their decisions made. So that kind of makes you a little more down in the dumps. You know, it's not, it's, it's not exactly. But, you know, yeah. looking back in hindsight, I just should have been more professional. But uh, it was my first season overseas. So I, I won't beat myself up too much about it. Um, I actually got the chance to go back overseas uh, about two months later. Um, uh, I'm sorry, not two months. Uh, it was probably a few months, maybe four months later, um, which is when I went to El Salvador. And that was a humbling experience just to come from top league Greece where you got your own apartment, you know, rental car, you got everything to now I'm in El Salvador. I'm sharing um I wouldn't even call it a house. <laughs> I'm sharing, uh, I don't know what to call it, but I'm sharing it with three other teammates who, the teammates I love dearly. I still keep up with them and can communicate with them to this day. But we were just in a rough situation, you know. Um, uh, it, it was a gang war going on at the time. So we couldn't, yeah, there were, there were some streets we, you know, we were, directed to not walk down because it, it wouldn't be good for us uh they had the military outside uh posted up with assault rifles um and they were the military was nice to us but that just lets you know how the area was um there were times where we wouldn't have hot water for you know four or five days um but you know we just had to grind it out our biggest thing was get the film and get out of here <laughs> yeah yeah Exactly. So I played about, yeah, I played like 12 games in, uh, in El Salvador. Um, I got some decent film, but it's not as good of quality because the team I was on, first of all, our court was outside. 
And secondly, we never practiced, so we didn't have any plays. So if you watch the film, there would be times where I got a rebound and I'm going out on, on a fast break and my teammates are all just uh, walking back, um, <laughs> walking up the court. Because we literally – we literally played with guys from the neighborhood. Really? <laughs> it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like they were recruited to play or anything. We played with guys from the neighborhood. A lot of them weren't in shape. Some of these guys had egos because, you know, they were the best guys in the neighborhood. But that doesn't mean anything when you got Division One guys and um, guys like myself who are really professionals and who really take this game serious. Um, but that's the thing about playing overseas to a lot of, if you're not in the top league to a lot of, uh, to a lot of guys, it's just a men's league to them. You know, they, they go to work, they go to school and then they come to practice. Sometimes they don't even come to practice. And that was my experience in Croatia. So I finished in El Salvador and the following November, I got picked up to, uh, come out to Croatia and play and that was my experience out there. Uh, half of the team, I can say, were uh, looking to be professional athletes and looking to move up. Um, but there were other guys who, you know, they were just regular um, citizens. You know, they would work. They would go to school. Sometimes they couldn't make practice. And that was the most frustrating part. You know, the, the guy, those guys aren't in practice. They aren't running. They aren't doing drills. They don't remember the plays. But when it comes, to, when it comes time to play, they actually, you know, they, they still get the minutes and, and you get subbed out for guys who, who don't know the plays. So that was kind of frustrating. But all in all, Croatia was a was a great experience. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of my experiences at all for, for anything. Um but I actually left Croatia um due to like money reasons and my apartment was my apartment wasn't the best. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible, but it was constant flooding and, and mold growing in the apartment, and the heat wasn't working. And this was in the heart of the winter. It was like December, and the heat kept going on and off. Um, and so, before I got picked up to go to Croatia, I went to a combine for the TBL for the basketball league, which is a new league here in America. And um, I got invited to training camp for the San Diego Waves, which is my most previous team that I played for. And so uh, they were offering to pay almost three times what I was making in Croatia. And but it would be a risk. You know, I'm leaving a team that I'm already signed for It's a team in Europe. So you got the chance to move up to a better league. But you 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 take the risk of going to training camp and getting cut and starting all over. Um, but that wasn't my mindset. I wasn't thinking about getting cut at all. Uh, I knew how well I performed and, um, I knew how well I performed at the combines in August. I, I had an idea of who I would see at training camp. And so, uh, I was just going there with the mindset of, I'm going to take what's mine. And, uh, again, I was blessed to make the team. I was also blessed to make the team with, one of my friends from uh, the the neighborhood, Mike Simpson. And so we were out in California together, uh, living the California dream. Uh, and that's what I, that's one thing I can say is the TBL, it, it's a growing league. You know, it does have its problems, but it's a great opportunity for guys. I saw a number of guys get called up into the Canadian league, into the NBL Canada. Um, I've seen guys go overseas uh 
from the basketball league. And it was just a great experience to get to know a great group of guys and build connections. So if there are any uh, free agents listening to this who you're hoping to go overseas, but you don't have any offers, I strongly urge you guys to go to uh, a TBL combine, go to one close to you. Even if you have to take a trip, just, just go to one, you know, give it your all. Hopefully you get signed, get picked up on a team. Um, but if you can definitely, uh, make an effort to get into the basketball league or um, the CEBL in Canada or uh, the NBL in Canada as well. Uh, just don't be so locked in on getting to Europe and uh, Australia and South America because you can make good money and you'll be more, I, I can't say you'll be more comfortable staying here and playing basketball and the TBL is growing. I think they're up to about 13, maybe 14 teams this year. Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. And I actually um, never really heard of the TVL until I actually started looking, like, once you agreed to come on, I started doing some research about you, and I saw that you saw some highlights of you playing at the TVL. Yeah, uh, great league. Uh, like I said, uh, it's growing. So if you look at some of my highlights, uh, I'm not going to lie. Some of, <laughs> some of my highlights were done on an actual iPhone. Like, the games were recorded on an iPhone. Wow. Which, <laughs> yeah, which was so crazy to us like it, if you watch the first part of my highlight it looks legit because it was done by an actual cameraman and then that's the thing with a growing league uh there's money issues and budgeting and our front office wasn't the best at budgeting so i i feel like they kind of overpaid the guy who was doing our cameras <laughs> and you know he decided to leave and they didn't have enough money to pay anyone else and so they just decided to record our games on a phone and live stream it there. And it was terrible because they would cut off uh, mid-game and it would go like a green screen or just a bunch of things would go wrong with it. And as a player, it's bad because the film looks terrible and sometimes you're not even able to get the film. And that's that's the biggest thing that you need coming from a, a minor league like that. You need your film and your stats. And even if you can't get your stats, you have the film to show what you can do in a game. Yeah. So, like, did you – now, do you, like, put – so this is from a director. So do you put together your own mixtapes, or does someone help you do that? Uh, no, nope, I, I do everything myself. Wow. The same – the same the, – <laughs> The same app I use to make my uh to make my my docu series on YouTube. The same app I use to make my highlights. Wow, that's that's crazy. Except, except my college highlights. My coach made my college highlights, and he did a heck of a job on that. I will say that. Yeah, yeah. That's so you learn all this. So like you pick up a lot of trades as you go along. I mean, you know, learning how yeah. to make your own film and like obviously you have to be a professional and business savvy and talk to people. So that's that's yeah. that's pretty crazy. So you have. You've had one hell of experience and journey overall from, you know. You, exactly. And then if, if you take so many steps backwards and, and go back, I'm the same guy who got cut sophomore, junior, senior year in high school. And so that's, that's my biggest message to kids these days. Like everything, you know, if you get cut, it'll feel like your world is crumbling down in front of you. I promise you, I understand, I can relate. But if you just keep pushing and you stay persistent and you keep your goal in mind, nothing can stop you but you. And if I would have stopped 
playing basketball, that would have been the reason I wouldn't have been a professional. It wouldn't have been because I got cut in high school and the high school coach told me I wasn't good enough and I didn't get any opportunity. The only reason that I wouldn't have been a professional is because I stopped. And now looking back, I can see that, you know, because I kept going and I found different avenues and different ways that I can get to where I wanted to get to in life. Yeah, you're you're honestly, you're a hard worker and you're super humble for a guy that, you know, you uh, you worked your butt off to get to where you are. And it's like, your story is absolutely just amazing. And I love also the basketball, the small world of basketball. And your, and your stories is all your, uh, the coaches, like some coaches that have connections to other coaches. And, you know, you played against this guy or, you know, it, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So uh, just a, a, another funny story with that. My coach, who I played for in Greece, is actually one of the greatest players to ever play in Europe. Really? And if you watch his highlight, yeah. If you watch his highlights, he's so dominant. His name is uh, Yanakis Panayotis, and I know it. That's a nightmare to try to spell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but, <laughs> write it down right but, now. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, if you, if you look him up, he man, he he was really a, a great. He he played with Dominique Wilkins when Dominique left the NBA and went overseas to play, oh, and wow. he was better. And he was better than Dominique Wilkins, who's hands down a top fifty player of all time in the NBA. That's that's nuts. So, I, oh man, that's crazy. So I wonder if he never even thought about coming to the NBA or just never got recruited. Um, did he get? I want to say he got drafted by the Celtics. Oh, really? Yeah, he got drafted by the Celtics in the 80s. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's a good team, too, to get on. <laughs> exactly. So, um, But that just, you know, speaks to the, the small world. And like I said, a couple of the guys on that team actually are playing uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo right now on the national team in the FIBA World Cup. And those are the same guys I played with. That's That's crazy. And now I'm like, Kind of go back to your coach being one of the most dominant players. Now you got Giannis, one of the most dominant players in Greece as well, too, and as in the NBA. Yeah, and and, and Giannis knows my coach. Uh, he he goes back to Greece to train. Uh, I'm not going to say that he specifically trains with my coach, but he definitely you know takes some advice from my coach. My coach is he's come up here to Milwaukee to watch a couple of Giannis's games, so I know they they have some sort of of a of a relationship, but. Yeah, that just speaks to how small of a world that basketball is and how, you know, you can use your connections to kind of elevate yourself. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. And like, I know we talked off air before. Um, I've just mentioned, uh, like, guys that we've, you know, I've interviewed and how the basketball world is just so such a small world. And now we like, talk to you with your story and all the connections that you have and everything that you've mentioned and your journey through everything and, like, going, like, just – somehow people in your past you just ended up meeting up with in college and playing against or playing for. Yeah. And I mean, I have a number of guys who I played with or who I knew from the area who, you know, they inspired me to keep playing. Like uh, one of my former uh, AAU teammates uh, and close uh, friends, Jordan Johnson, who's playing overseas right now. He actually won the, NBA G League championship for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, the Houston G League team last season. He also played at UNLV. Uh, I'm, I'm good friends with Lindell Smith Jr., who played at Ohio State, 
when they had Jared Sullinger and they made those final four runs. He plays overseas in Greece now. Um, Akeem Springs, who played in the, the G League and, and is looking to make an NBA push this season. Uh, Mike Simpson, who was my teammate in California. At the time, I was getting cut in high school. He was one of the best players in the area. And we didn't even know each other until I came back from Greece and I was training to be a professional. We were training with the same guy in the same gym. I, I actually uh, trained at Trinity, um, which is a, a great thing, you know, when you can go back to your school because you've done so much and they let you train in the gym with no hassles. Yeah, it's really nice. Exactly. But uh, it's just a, a, a basketball is a small world, man. Um, and, and it and it'll connect it'll connect a number of people, man. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's it's phenomenal just like hearing people's stories and how the connections all are and like how many connections you guys have outside of, you know, your world too, about guys that you play with and guys that, you know, like you mentioned, Lendo Smith, I played, I think he played in that TBT as well, the basketball tournament. Um, He did, he would have, but he, uh, he had a hand injury, but oh, his, okay. his team that he would have played on, they actually ended up winning. And so I know he was kind of frustrated about that because, that's a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars instantly into your bank account. So yeah, it's that's great. I know it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, th I mean, there was a number of guys in the TV two uh, who I knew uh, just from working out with them, or uh, they they grew up in the area. Uh, guys like Quincy Miller, who a lot of people you know they know him from coming out of high school in North Carolina, but he's actually from the Chicago area. And so, you know, he comes back here and, you know, we'll work out together sometimes. Or I actually uh, hung out with him uh, when I was going to Jordan Johnson's game in the G League uh, when he stayed in – when Quincy stayed in L.A. So, like I said, the basketball world is a small world, man. And we're all – we all could find a way to connect somehow. But um, I'm just glad that I'm a part of this world now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, you worked hard to be a part of it, too, and you deserve everything that you get coming to you, you know? Exactly, and um, just my biggest thing is uh, to just to help kids in, in any way possible. So even even now when I'm, when I'm on the job hunt, when I'm in between, um, you know, trying to find if I'm going to get a job at home or waiting for a contract overseas, the one thing I make sure I do is that I'm coaching and, and training kids and, and I'm helping them and I'm speaking to them and, you know, just trying to keep their mindset positive. And even though you're not ranked and even though you don't get that division one offer it is not the end of the world. Trust me. Yeah. And, and you know, any kid that's lucky to have you as a coach, um, you know, is, is they're very lucky to have you and hopefully, hopefully they take what the lessons that you teach them and, I'm sure they are, and they're going to be hard workers, and they're going to take all the everything that you instill into them. Yeah, that sounds good. Until we get in practice, and they're they're half, you know what, and all the drill. Oh yeah, <laughs> how old are the kids that you train or the like coach? Uh, uh, the, the ages range. I mean, the team that I'm a head coach of, they're sixth grade, so about twelve years old. So I got the young knuckleheads, but I also help with uh, high school varsity um, boys and girls. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of help all age groups, and, and the kid that I train, he's in eighth grade right now. So, uh, yeah, it, it's tough, but uh, they usually – you can usually tell who's – I don't want to say who's going to make it, but who really wants to make it by how hard they work. 
Yeah, and it makes it, I actually train as well. I train a kid in high school right now. Um, I think it it makes your job easier because they want to push themselves, and I think you can push exactly. them even harder, and it makes it a lot easier on you. I, I tell them all the time: the less I have to repeat myself, the better this is going to go for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, well, Henry, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I I love your story and I love what you do, and like, you know, I wish you the best of luck out there um, with the job stuff and as well as the professional career, uh, basketball career and stuff. You are, uh, you know, I love your story and how hard of working of a guy you are and where you come from. You deserve all the best in the world. I'm a big fan of yours, and I need to make my way out to Chicago to come visit you. Oh, uh, that is for sure. Um, and Jeff, I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Um, and I too wish you the best, um, and all of your future endeavors. And like I said, I will be sure to, you know, send any, uh, basketball guys your way so that you can keep these episodes going. And hopefully, like I said, on the last episode, get this podcast on a national stage, you know, where you're having millions of viewers. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And I, I would love that. If you got any guys that want to come on, send them my way. Ha happy to have anyone on and tell their story, um, no matter what level of basketball they play. Also, um, I plan on having some free, like, you know, plan on freeing yourself up because I'm definitely having you back on. Oh, I, anytime you want to have me on, man, I, I, I'll, I'll make some space available for you. Yeah, I got I got some plans. I, I got some ideas. I'll text them to you after the show, but I think we'll, it'll be something special. All right, man. Just let me know. All right. Well, you take it easy, Henry. Have a good rest of your night. All right. You too, Jeff. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was my interview with Henry French. Awesome second part of his interview. Uh, great story. Once I said, I'll say it one more time. A great, great story. I really enjoyed it. It should be a movie. He made a documentary. Follow it on YouTube. Um, you know, follow him on YouTube. It's King Henro. Watch it on YouTube. No the Pro. Great documentary. I watched the whole series. Awesome. Henry produced it himself, which is also amazing. He's a guy. A guy's got a lot of skill and a lot, a lot of life skills, the basketball skills and knowledge. Great, great, uh, great documentary put together by him. I always suggest everyone watch it. On um, coming up next week, we're gonna have three interviews. We start going Monday. Wednesday and Friday, we're changing the schedule. Um, we're getting court visions getting a little bit bigger, and good news that's great news. So, we're starting to get more interviews, and building upon those interviews, we're going to start going three days a week for our interviews going forwards. And now we're also on Spotify, so it's great news there too, as well. So, all great news here for um, court vision and how fast we're growing. And I really can't thank the people that have come on and you know have made this happen for us and to get us to where we need to be and as we continue to grow there are always going to be our guests and guests that are going to come on and i always cannot thank them enough for helping me get to where i need to be uh, and getting this podcast to where i need to be so anyone that's listening out there my my guys um uh, the people i have on everyone i can't thank you guys enough because i wouldn't be in the situation i am in today Without you guys, you've really made this podcast of what it is, and I'm very excited to say that we are growing quickly, and it's crazy in a two-month span of how fast it's grown. Um, just the viewers and listeners we've gotten, 
it's un unbelievable and I'm excited that we are continuing to expand and grow and we will see where it goes. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed today's part two of Henry French's interview and look for the new new episode on Monday. We shall see who it is. Have a good one.